0: So we've been talking about the minor prophets for the last few weeks. Uh, We're on the fifth prophet now, the prophet uh, Jonah. And the way we've been talking about him have been similar like to clean pages of the Bible, that the minor prophets are in a portion of the Bible that we're not familiar with, that we don't read very often. Um, I think because we think it really is foreign to us that we have to have some education to understand it. Or theologically, we read it and we think, okay, there's some problems in there for me, like I don't really see how the god i believe in is the god that's in this particular book but as we've been reading the book so far those gods are the very the god is very same in the old testament and in the new and so the goal of this whole series has been for us to become familiar with portions of the old testament that we don't read very often the areas that collect dust the areas that we decide we're just not going to open and so we've been referring to them as just clean pages and so the goal is get to know what they are and not just for information's sake We don't want to just learn about these prophets so that, in my brain, I know about these prophets. But in our hearts, we want to know them as well. Because the message that they have is not just for people in ancient times. The message that they have is for us. I mean, it's to change us. It's to get us to love and obey God, to return to the one that we ought to be loving first and foremost, which is God himself. Now, one of the things that the prophets um, all had in common was, you know, we started with sort of like a basic definition, right? So we know that these prophets, these minor prophets, were spokesmen for God who had revelations from God that they then gave to other people. So whether God said something to them and they went and told a the nation, they told people, individuals, they told kings, those kinds of things. But everything they said was from God. And we know that they also had two functions, right? They were foretellers or seers, they talked about the things that God said were going to happen, and they would always reveal that to God's people or to kings or to nations. And then they're, again, truth tellers. So everything they say when they confront people or they're judging people, it's not because they think it's a good, uh, good thing to say to them or they think it's their best opinion about the situation. No, this is all rooted in God's truth, what God has always said and the way God says his people ought to live. And so that's what they're communicating now to his people. And now what we often have seen in the prophets with God is that God has been this judging God. God has been this God who corrects. God has been this one who is sending his prophet in and saying, Look, you're living this life that you're not supposed to be be doing any of these things, and yet they continue on in him. But what we also see in the midst of all of that, almost always, is we see God's compassion. So even though God brings correction, God brings judgment, he also brings restoration— he also brings some kind of future hope for us that he can actually like, do some great work within us. And really what we see that through is through his compassion. And so throughout the Old Testament, that's what we see. We see a lot about God's compassion, how he's compassionate for his people. And that's what we're talking about today. But biblical compassion, maybe is maybe a little different than maybe how we understand compassion itself. So for us, if we were to ask, go around asking what's compassion, we might think about it more like I'm doing something nice for somebody else, or that if I go down the street and I see a homeless person on the side of the road, that I have some feeling inside of me that I feel sorry for them, right? That's what we're thinking compassion is, right? But it's a much deeper feeling than that. And so quite literally, when we think about compassion in the Old Testament, the image that he wants us to get is this, uh, to be soft like a womb, meaning like this feeling that a mom has for a baby inside her womb. And so that care goes much deeper, as we'll see in this particular uh, chapter, is that God will use the same kind of compassion and concern and say that to the extent that he should be concerned with people should be where he actually cries for them. And that's a deep feeling. That's not just going along the way and saying, well, you know, I feel bad for them. Maybe I should do something for them, but I don't really feel like doing it. No, God actually goes and he's ahead of us and he's going to go and do something for us. Now, every time I try to think about, I guess, wrapping my mind around the qualities of God, I always try to think about like, earthly examples. Now, of course, earthly examples are not perfect. Right? We're imperfect beings. But we, because we've been created in God's image, right, we have those characteristics, we have those qualities, though we do that imperfectly. And so when I think about God's you know, judgment, as correction, and I also think about his compassion as well, I always think about my grandfather. So this picture was taken 14 years ago. He passed away 12 years ago. My grandma was right there, pictured, followed maybe a couple years after that. But my grandfather, he was a very stern individual, and we called him Tata, right? So that's a, a Jonathan, I don't know if you know what that term is, but we use that in Spanish, it's a slang term that we use, it's a good slang, but we use that term for someone who's older, right? but someone who does things that cause people around them to respect them. right? It's not because they're older that you respect them, it's because the life that they live is worthy of respect. And so that's what we called him, and I remember like, all the discipline part of his life, he was a very stern guy. I remember the times where he would wanna correct us and I didn't like being, getting in trouble. And so what I would do, I'd try to just run away if I could, not leave the house. But I knew when I was in trouble with him, like I wanted to be out of the house. He wasn't like abusive or anything, but he was hard. He was like kind of like, like very stern in the way he did it. I remember one time running out of the back door and we had this really janky fence that like it wasn't like even or anything. And so there was just enough space under the, the gate that he locks that you could crawl under it. And so I was small enough that I could run to it and get right under the gate. And I remember one time, I don't remember what I got in trouble for. I just remember I got in trouble. Running out the back door, going to crawl right under the fence and then feeling just like somebody grabbed me, pulled me right back out, put me over his shoulder and walked me in the house. And so I don't remember all that played out with that. But I do know he was a very stern man. But what I also know, he was very compassionate. Right. in my memory, yeah, that's the one memory I have of him disciplining me. I don't, I can't think of any other. Right, and maybe for maybe you know, maybe that's important. Maybe that was the only time I ever got in trouble because that was the last time he, you know, whatever. Um, but I remember his compassion more often. I remember all the times that he, you know, would wake us up in the morning. So I grew up in a single parent home, and so he kind of served as a father to me. And so in our home, I remember getting up every morning and he would always cook me breakfast and it was two over easy eggs and he would make sure he would do it first so that they wouldn't get brown crusty stuff on them. And then he would cut them up exactly how I wanted them. And then after he made breakfast for us, he would, we would go to the front of the TV. We would watch cartoons together. He would allow me to sit on his shoulders when I was small enough, not, you know not into my teen years or anything like that. But when I was small enough, he would let me sit on his shoulders and I would eat, put my plate on top of his head and I would just begin to eat and watch the cartoons. I remember the many times where he would, um, you know, if I got hurt, he would reach down and he would care for me. Like he wouldn't tell me, hey, you need to grow up. You need to like quit doing what you're doing. You need to, you know, whatever other thing to tell me that I need to just get myself up and just move on. No, he actually like reached down toward me and actually like cared for me. Now, I can think of so many times where he showed compassion towards me, but what really puts the icing on the cake for his life is that I saw the compassion he had for other people. right? It wasn't just for people he loved, but it was for all people, no matter what background they came from, no matter who they are, no matter what they did to him, these were people he often showed compassion to. Now, one of the things that always sticks in my memory is this one time where him and my grandmother, they ran the food bank in San Antonio. Uh, they were on volunteer basis, but that's what they did. They were on disability, so they did what they could to just serve people around them. And so I remember this event where all these cars are lining up and these people are lining up for free food. You have people who have cars that are just you know, really messed up. They probably shouldn't be driving those cars, but yet they're coming to get free food, people walking in, people going on bicycles, and they're trying to get this free food. But then, Every now and then, you would see people pull up on like a, in like a Cadillac Escalade or pulling up in like a Mercedes or a Lexus or something. And in my mind, I remember that day, I kept thinking to myself, like, those people don't need this. Those people don't, maybe don't deserve this, right? They should wait in line until everybody else gets done. And if we have anything left over, then they could have it. You know, if you sold your vehicle, maybe you would have enough money to get your own food and not have to go get something for free that somebody else needs. Well, that's what I thought. And I see those cars pull up and my grandfather, as cheerful as he was, just goes, collects the food and then just like greets them like he has everybody else, gives them the food and sends them off with blessing. My grandfather was very different than me. My grandfather looked at all people and said, "Okay, whether you deserve it or not, I'm going to be compassionate towards you. Whether you do anything to earn my compassion, I'm going to give that compassion to you. Now, again, all these examples that we can have, and I'm sure there's a person in your life that you can think about who cares for you so much and loves you so much that you sort of see like the character of God in them. Again, imperfectly, right? Because we, we don't realize the fullness of it here in this life because ultimately from God, when we see him face to face, everything is going to be as it should be, and it's going to be perfect. And compassion will fully be realized. But I think God's compassion goes even deeper. Again, That whole idea, soft like a wound, to care with tears. This is what God is wanting us to do. Now, the way that God, like, primarily shows us his compassion is through his love for you, his care towards you, and even his forgiveness towards you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But yet, God still gives it to you. There's nothing you could ever do to earn it because God gives it to you willingly and Freely. I mean, the scriptures tell us, you know, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Now we know as followers of God that we are to emulate this same compassion in the world The same love that God shows us, we ought to be showing it to other people. The same care that God shows to us, we'd be showing it to other people. The same type of forgiveness that God shows us, we ought to be showing that forgiveness to other people as well. But we all know the challenge, right? The challenge is is that we live in a broken world. The challenge is we live in a world that's not perfect. The challenge is, is we live in a world of people who hurt you. We live in a world, like we talked about last time, I mean, there's really big ways, but even in the day-to-day, right, that we have other people who will betray you, other people who will walk all over you, other people that will gossip behind your back, and other people who have hurt you in some other type of way. We know that this is life. We know that that's a challenge for us if we're being told by God, look, I'm like this, I've expressed these things to you as well, and I want you to also express that in other places as well. Now, what we're going to learn in the book of Jonah is that regardless if we're going to show compassion or not, it's not up to us if God's going to show it to other people. If God is going to be forgiving to somebody, if God is going to care for somebody, if God is going to love somebody that we don't think deserves his love, he's going to show it to them anyway. And so that's what the book of Jonah is going to be all about. And I think this one, it was especially challenging to me, and I hope that it really is for you as well. And so, We're gonna watch the video as we always have just to give us a, you know, uh, top view here of what the book of Jonah is. Um, And so we're gonna watch that video now. Now I think the question that I think Jonah is going to address for us is do we limit God's compassion? Do we limit who could receive God's kindness, God's care, God's forgiveness, and God's love? Now, I think that question actually there's maybe even a deeper question that we ask because I think what happens is that a lot of what we believe about God we actually impose that upon him because we believe something we're going to impose those ideals on him and so maybe the other question we ask is there a limit to our own compassion is there a limit to who we're willing to love is there a limit to who we're willing to forgive is there a limit to who we're willing to care for Again, we take our idea, our beliefs, and we impose those upon God. Now, I don't know if you've said any of these things before, but I know there are people in your life that have hurt you. I know there are people in your life that you think are too far gone. I think there are people in your life that you think, okay, those people, right, if they even follow God, I don't even think that's going to be that they're truly following him because they've done so many, wor- so, many, so many bad things in their life. Like they can't ever be redeemed. So I know we all have people like that in our life. So maybe we've said these things before. I can't forgive that person, insert whatever person you want, so God shouldn't forgive them either. Now, whether you want to be honest with that or not, I think that's what we truly believe. There's no way that that person is a follower of Jesus. When you see someone who you know has done some really bad things and they repent and they turn to God, and you think there's no way that person has been changed. Or we say, why would God do anything good for Insert whoever. Now we obviously see some semblance of this in the New Testament where Jesus even tells us that we need to love not just the people who love you. Why, why bother loving the people that love you? Everybody else can do that. The challenge he has for us is that the person, his disciple, should also love those people who hurt them, should also love their enemies. And so I think that's what we see in Jonah, that regardless of what he thinks about it, yeah, he thinks God, uh, that the Ninevites should be destroyed. Well, no matter what he thinks about it, God's saying, look, I can show compassion on them if I desire. Right? And that's what I'm going to do. And so we read in Jonah chapter 4, it says this. This change of plan, so you know from the video, it says that they actually turned away from the evil that they were doing. They repented. And so God said, I'm not going to destroy you because you've turned away from your sin. And so it's that that angers Jonah. He's angry that everything he said was going to happen is not actually going to happen. And so he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now, what's so funny is that he goes into this mission knowing what God is like. He knows that he's forgiving. He knows he's caring. He knows he's loving. And he still goes to these people to proclaim their destruction. And that thought had to have popped in the back of his head that, okay, I know I'm proclaiming their destruction, but there's a, there's a chance that God is going to, they're, they're going to repent and God is not going to let them get destroyed because they've turned away from their evil. So I always think it's really interesting to think about that, but... It's so bad for Jonah at this point. He's like, he'd just rather die. I mean, you've heard of people who, if you've got two people together and one person is doing something bad and you're with that person, maybe you had a friend or acquaintance or whatever, and they're doing something bad, you're with them. They say, hey, why don't you come and do this with me? And you say, you know what, if you're wise, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to walk my own way. I don't want this blood on my hands. Now, Jonah's doing the opposite of that. Now, God is going to do something good for his people. His friend is God. He's there with, uh, you know, about to do something good for these people. And Jonah says, you know what? I don't really want to be a part of this. Like, I'm just going to walk away right now. Like, I don't want to be known by anybody that I did anything good for these people. And now maybe Jonah, maybe it was like throughout his history, history and all of that, that maybe the Ninevites deserved what was coming to them. Maybe Jonah was right in thinking, yeah, they deserve destruction. And yeah, if you look at history, they do. Because you look at history, they were very cruel people. So Nineveh was in what they call like Assyria. And so there, they were very cruel in the way that they tortured and they killed people. Whether it was their own people, whether it was prisoners, or whether it was some other other war. They were very cruel in the way they did things. And so Jonah, in a sense, maybe is right. He's saying, look, these people, they don't deserve God's forgiveness. They don't deserve God's compassion because of all the things that they have done. And so I think this really kind of comes to more like modern terms, and I think this is true for all of us, is that we have a really strict justice, a really strict idea of justice. So if you think about people in your life who have hurt you, have done something bad towards you, who have betrayed you, or you think about in the world, maybe a dictator over here, or maybe somebody who's hurting people over here. When we think about those people, we think, okay, they've done something bad, So they have to pay for their crimes. Now, there's yet other experiences in our life where we see people who maybe turn away from the evil they were doing. And yet we still think, okay, they hurt me so bad. Like it still hurts years after. And they still need to pay for their crimes. They still need to pay for the bad thing that they did towards me. Now, what's interesting, though, is that we have this idea of strict justice upon everybody else. But we won't put that upon ourselves. I mean, if we come to God and we've done a lot of bad things in our life and we come to God and say, God, I want you to forgive me. I mean, think about it. If God had our standards and said, oh, well, you don't like to forgive other people like that or you don't love other people, you don't care other people. So then, okay, well, you don't get it. So we are hypocritical in the way that we express this because we will have this on all other people. But, yeah, give me all the grace. Give me all the compassion. Forgive me all the time. Have mercy on me. Care for me. Love me. But that person... They're worse than me. So don't do that for them. So that's all of us. Whether you think so or not, whether you agree with it or not, that's how we all are. So the exception is us. So it's no surprise that people in life have hurt us. People in life have betrayed you. But can you imagine like God having compassion for them? Can you imagine God forgiving them? Can you imagine God caring for them? Can you imagine God loving them? I mean, maybe we think, okay, are we okay with those people who have hurt us receiving God's compassion? Now, if we hesitate a little bit, I think it's because we're human, right? Because there's still something in us that says, okay, somebody's hurt me. They ought to be paid back for what they've done. That they should not get the forgiveness of God. That they should not get the mercy of God or the love or the care that God provides through his compassion. They should not receive it. I think the good news is, is that, again, yeah, God, it doesn't depend on us. It's all on God. I mean, God says, look, he's a compassionate God. Whether we deserve it or not, whether he feel like, feels like it or not, whether it costs him anything, he still shows compassion, even though we may fail to do so. Now the story goes on and he asked Jonah, the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry at this? Is it, is it right for you to be angry at the fact that I am showing mercy to these people? Now Jonah doesn't answer the question. He kind of just walks away, right? He's really angry. Like this question was posed to another person in the first parts of the Old Testament. So if you know Cain and Abel, if you know that story, Cain kills Abel. So right before that, we see that Cain was jealous about Abel. Right? So since he hated him. And so then we see like right after that, that God asks him, is it right for you to be angry about your brother? What does Cain do right after that? He goes and kills his brother. That's how angry he was. And that in the sense here is how angry Jonah is over what's going on. So is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah doesn't answer. So then the story goes on. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Now, God has been using creation to really teach Jonah a lesson. So we saw that Jonah had fled, right? He wasn't going to do what God had asked him to do, so he gets swallowed up by a fish. And in that fish, that's where he prays that prayer of deliverance, right? He says, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for, like for protecting me, right? That's what he was praying for. That's what he prayed about, right? Thanking God for what he had done. Then he spits him out onto the dry land. And in the very same way here, we see this, he's in the scorching heat and this plant comes and provides him some shade. And so he's happy about that. But then his emotion quickly changes because now he's angry that this plant is now dead. Now, what is God trying to teach him? And that's where we end the, the story. It says, then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, if you're in Jonah's position, like this is probably a really harsh question for him. Because God is really saying, look, you're like really angry. It's like the balance of the scales are off balance here. He's so angry that like, or I should do it this way. He's so angry that this plant that he had nothing to do with is dead. But you have 120,000 people that were headed to destruction. And you don't even have even a a bit of like sorriness for them. Or care for them wanting to go and to actually tell them, look, yeah, you're going to be destroyed. But there's a, a way forward that you can repent and turn away. No, he didn't do that. Yet we see Jonah. Jonah. What does God then say to Jonah? Again, that question, shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Now, Jonah doesn't answer the question. And I think he doesn't answer the question for good reason because it then brings us into the conversation as well. So obviously God calls us to be just like him. And I think in a sense, he's asking Jonah as well, like, shouldn't I be concerned? And then shouldn't you also be concerned for these people as well? And so that's the question. It's the most important question in this book. Shouldn't God feel sorry for those people in our lives who have hurt us, those people who have betrayed us, those people that we look at, that we think they don't deserve any of this. Or we look at those people and think, oh, they're just too far gone. Right? There's nothing anybody can do for them. Right? Not even God. And so again, that really sparks the question, right? Is there a limit to our own compassion? Is there a limit to who we're willing to love? Is there a limit to who we're willing to care for or even to forgive? And if you want to admit it or not, all right, you agree with it or not, realize it or not, I think we all do have limits in what we're willing to do. Because every time it comes to having to show some semblance of compassion towards somebody else through our forgiveness or our love, right? Does that person deserve it? Have they quit being a jerk long enough? Have they followed the formula that I've laid out for them to get into good standing with me for me to be able to have that kind of compassion on them? Do I feel like doing it? Am I like not as angry anymore that I can now say, yeah, I ought to love them and I ought to forgive them. I ought to care for them. And does it cost me anything? Does it make me uncomfortable? Does it cost me some kind of sacrifice in my life to be able to do that for somebody else? So these are the questions, whether you think so or not. These are the things that we work through. These are the things that we ask when we do it. But you see, the one thing that gets in the way that makes us ask this question is really our pride. Our pride says that we know what's best. Our pride says that we are the best judge, right? Even better than God is a judge. Our pride says that God is also weak. And so our pride also says that we've got to put a limit on who God can show his forgiveness toward, that we can put a limit on who he cares for and who He loves. Now, it's been said before, and maybe you've heard this um, in some way, but that we never lead our enemies toward following Christ. We only lead our friends. So I think at a very deep level, I think this is true for all of us, that we believe that the people who have done bad things to us or doing bad things in the world only deserve bad things to happen to them. What goes around comes around, or the whole idea that's infiltrated the church is karma Okay, you've done a bad thing. Well, guess what? Karma is an insert expletive word right there, and karma is going to come bite you in the insert expletive. And if you knew all those words, you probably need some sense of sanctification to flow through your life because you've got a, a a bad mind, okay? So we never lead our enemies toward Christ, only our friends. So, at a very deep level, those people that we truly love, they deserve. God's love. They deserve God's compassion. They deserve God's forgiveness. But those people who have done something to hurt us or hurt other people, no, they only deserve bad. They deserve what they've done to others. They need that to be done to them. But what I'm thankful for, and this is the good news. Now, in all these things, like God's not saying, and I don't think he's saying this here, that all those bad things that people have done to us, it doesn't mean that justice will not be served one day. But what I think God is really trying to communicate here is that he longs to show his compassion towards people. He longs to show his compassion towards you and not his wrath. This is grace and mercy. Grace is that compassion. You don't deserve it, and God gives it to you freely. Mercy is God withholding what it is you deserve. And what it is we all deserve is God's wrath. But in his mercy, he withholds that and offers his compassion toward us. So, I'm thankful that God's standards are not like mine. I'm thankful God doesn't say, well, do they deserve it? Well, the thing is, we don't. You don't, I don't. There's nothing we can do to earn God's compassion, God's uh, love and forgiveness upon our life, but He gives it to us freely. Does God do it based on how He feels about it? You know what? Today's just been a long day. I've been answering prayers all over here on this part of the world, so I actually don't have time for you. So, I'm not going to give you my compassion. But yet we serve a God who never changes and a God who is always with us and is always free to give his compassion and love toward us. Does God ask, well, is it gonna cost me anything to have compassion on you, to have compassion on me? I'm glad it doesn't because God paid the biggest price. For us to be reconciled to God, he sent his son Jesus down here to earth to die for you and to die for me. And that to me is the biggest cost that anybody could ever pay. But yet he did it so willingly for us. The scriptures tell us, right? But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by grace that you have been saved. So the love, the care and compassion that we receive from God has nothing to do with us and we should be thankful and grateful that the standards that God uses aren't ours. That they supersede ours. He gives it to us whether we deserve it or not. And he does so willingly. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and your care. Thank you, Lord, that there's, there isn't anything we, we have to do or could do to earn your forgiveness that you're there with open arms to receive us when we turn away from what we're doing. Lord, I know this particular topic is a struggle for us because I know that in our lives, there are people who have done some terrible things towards us, who've betrayed us, who've lied about us, ruined our reputations, have broken parts of our family apart. And we have a hard time looking at them and saying, yeah, there's that God, that you could actually forgive them, that you could actually care for them and you could actually love them in the same way that you do us. So Lord, I'm not saying this is easy and I'm not telling you all that this is easy either. And that's why we need God's help. We need God's viewpoint on everything. So Lord, thank you. I'm eternally grateful for the care and compassion you show me. And I imagine that everyone in this room feels the very same way. Now, Lord, as we move into communion, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember your faithfulness toward us and the great compassion that you show toward us, even though we don't deserve it.